Hello, everyone, and welcome to Songversations, the long waits podcast where we interview songwriters about their methods and approaches to writing songs. I'm Bjorkvin, and I play guitar and sing in the long wait. You can visit us at thelongwait.com, our very active social media profiles on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube channels that are all under the username Long Wait Music. You can support this podcast and our music in multiple ways, either by becoming a patron on Patreon at patreon.com slash thelongwait, using our Amazon affiliate link through thelongwait.com slash Amazon, or sending us a tip through our virtual tip jar at thelongwait.com slash tips. Thank you very much for your support, and now let's get into this week's interview. All right, we're here today with Eric Schaefer of uh, Eric Schaefer and the Other Troublemakers, at least currently. He's been in a few other projects throughout his life, I, I'm sure of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Eric. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. We are very grateful in the long wait for Eric because he was one of the first people to give us kind of a, well, you would say, I would say a break in a way by offering us a slot to play with them on their regular, their regular gigs at the Monterey Court, which then, you know, having that sort of gig kind of opened up some opportunities for us to play a little bit more. And uh, then that's just sort of snowballed from there. And we've played a lot of shows since then. And he's also helped us out when we were in a pinch and needed an extra guitar that's player. Right. That was a lot of fun. It was. I really appreciated that when you sat in with us at that playground gig. But uh, enough about how you helped us. How about you just tell us a little bit about, I don't know, maybe just give us your origin story. Origin story, the, <laughs> yeah. uh, the creation story. I, I grew up in New Jersey. Okay. And um, kind of cut my teeth playing in the New Jersey club scene yep. in the 1970s, which I guess sort of dates myself, but you know, so such, so it is. Right. But did that and then ultimately made the decision to kind of give up the music thing for a while. And I, I settled down, I got married, had a family, a job, you know, the whole thing. And then uh, finally, I guess about uh, 10 years ago, decided it was time to get back. Right. And you ran sound back That's then, too. Right. Yeah. You remember you telling me a yes. story about... Yeah. So when, when I first settled down to get a job, it wasn't a real... Well, it was a real job, but it was still in the music business. I was a front of house sound man. All right. And I did that for several years. I was also the, uh, the road manager for uh, Leslie West, who was a little before your time, but if you remember the band Mountain, played mm -hmm. at Woodstock. I mean, they were a big, iconic band in the 60s, 70s. Uh, I was his tour manager for a while, okay. which was uh, quite the experience for a 23-year-old. But then yeah, I got out to Tucson about eight years ago and I wanted to start playing right away and was fortunate enough to get into it and meet up with some great people and great musicians. And it just sort of keeps getting better all the time. Okay, awesome. So when you started back up again, I, I suppose, how many different projects have you had before the other troublemakers? Before the other troublemakers, I was doing a an acoustic duo for a while with a fellow by the name of Larry Gould, very talented uh, guitarist and bass player who was in the original Knack mm -hmm. back in L.A. And then I went from there to play. My Sharona Knack? No, there was a knack before that knack. <laughs> okay. Capitol Records owned the name. Ah, I see. gave it to the other guys, and then they did My Sharona. Okay. So after that, I uh, played with Leanne Savage for, I guess it was about four or five years. Yeah. And then in the meantime, uh, just did little side projects here and there. I started doing some solo shows, got back into writing. Played a few shows with my good friend Connie Brannock, who's just a lovely person. I even got to sit in with the long wait once. <laughs> <laughs> 
Which was highly entertaining. Yes, yes. And then just kind of on a lark, started up the other troublemakers about a year and a half ago. I had a couple of solo things lined up. I had a couple here in town, and then I had one down in Bisbee. And um, I just mentioned to Troy Martin, who was the bass player in the Leanne Savage's band with me, said, hey, would you be interested in uh, coming and doing that with me? Just kind of for the hell of it. And he said, yeah, sure. And then... Uh, Mentioned it to Jay Parks, who had been a friend for a while, mm-hmm. and she's a wonderful singer. Yep. And uh, plays some guitar and mandolin, and we just kind of did it on a lark, and then started singing together. And it was one of those situations where the whole was greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah, I mean, the just just blend just works. The blend worked. Yeah. And uh, we're like, wow, we kind of got a little bit of lightning in a bottle here, <laughs> so we just kept on running with it. Cool. Yeah, no, we uh, I thoroughly enjoy your music. Uh, it's you. always good to catch you on a show, and I really enjoy your songs just in general. Thank you. You have a great, great sense of melody. The lyrics are always fun. You just published or you released a video with a new song yes. on Facebook the other day, the last week, and I, I really like the lyrics in that song. They're so descriptive. There's You just kind of feel like you're there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was... Um... I woke up one morning and I and I read that David Crosby does this, so I'm in good company. Okay. That time in the morning when you're not quite asleep and you're not quite awake, right. I will frequently wake up with songs in my head, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's just a melody, and I'll you know quick run into my little home studio and try to record something so I don't forget it because right. every time I'm sure I won't forget it, I do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's um, no way. <laughs> yeah. And that I just kind of woke up with this thing in my head. It was just kind of this very easy little. Uh, melodic thing and sat down and started playing it and then this whole concept of you know American dream kind of popped into my head and sat down and started writing it and was having a little trouble getting started and then we were having dinner one night with our friends Jerry Carriaga and Stephanie Gladhart who are wonderful songwriters on their own right and so Steffi threw out a couple of lines and I'm like and then I was then it was just off to the races and uh, had most of the song done and then uh, spent a few days down in Baja about two weeks ago with uh, Scott Robb, who I write with periodically. And yep. we sat up one night and just finished it, and I loved where it went. Great. That's a little bit about your process of writing songs. Yeah. Is that usually your technique, or is do you have another method that you usually stick to in any way? I don't have a set methodology. The music comes to me very quickly. I'm constantly making little voice memos and little recordings with, and I'm, I bet you do the oh, same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah my, my uh, phone is full. <laughs> right, right. And just these things that pop into your head, and I keep I keep them cataloged on my computer. Yeah. And in terms of lyrics, that's more of a battle for me, and it's sometimes like it's something I sometimes have to fight with. Yeah. But I'm fortunate because my wife, who is much better read than I am, okay. loves to write. Yeah. And we've had the opportunity on several occasions to work together on the lyrics of some of these songs. And sometimes there's been a couple of times where she's just come to me with a, with a song that's written out, and I'll just you know make a few tweaks and a few changes here and there, and I'll write the music for it, and there it is, and it's done. Other times I'll have an idea for what it is I'm trying to say, but just, you know, struggle with getting it all out and we'll sit down and just bounce things back and forth and somehow wind up with something that works. Cool. So you're saying, do the lyrics come first and then you write the music to them or is it sort of an in-betweener? It can go either way. Sometimes Carol will, will write some wonderful lyrics and I'll and I'll kind of figure out where to go from there. Other times I'll get these musical ideas in my head and sometimes you just kind of play these things over and over and they'll tell you. Yeah. They'll tell you where they want to go. Yeah. And I know that sounds kind of weird. 
But uh, no, I I feel like if you just keep playing the same thing, and if you start trying to write melodies, sometimes you end up coming back to the same melody, and yes. that's I guess the music's way of telling you this is where it should go. Th this is where it needs to go, and then um, or you're accidentally stealing it from somewhere else. <laughs> which just happened to me on occasion. Yeah, yeah, it's happened to me too. Where I'll, I'll come up with this great idea, and it's like, and then all of a sudden, I'll I'll go home and I'll type it into a Google search or a YouTube search. It's like, oh crap, <laughs> my idea is not so good after yeah, all. Yeah. Uh, but, but at least I do take the opportunity to vet myself and make sure that I'm not. Right, right, right. <laughs> so you sometimes have lyrics and yeah. sometimes you kind of have both. And But even then, one of the big important parts of the process, as I'm sure you know, is, is once you're done, that's when the work kind of begins and you start the, the phase of rewriting it. Right. And you're taking whatever lyrical ideas that you had and some of them may have come from one person and some, some from me, some from my wife or some from Scott or whatever. And now you, you kind of get to the point where it now becomes a subtractive process. Okay. And you're trying to whittle it down to be as concise and on message as possible. And sometimes that requires kind of taking the whole song apart and starting again. Sometimes it's just some little tweaks here and there, but I think that's sort of the most important part. Yeah. So what's your biggest struggle when it comes to songwriting? Biggest struggle when it comes to songwriting is um, coming up with the ideas that I think I can write something on that will be compelling. Okay. My friend Jerry has, has an expression that he uses about songs that are just kind of out there. He calls them the slag heap of music history. <laughs> Can you give me an example? Oh, it could be any pop song that's okay. here today and gone tomorrow. He's just, <laughs> yeah. There's another one for the slag heap. And uh, I, I don't want to write songs that are going to go on the slag heap. Right, right, right. So it, it's a matter of sitting down and coming up with ideas that are unique or or at least a unique way to express ideas because really there's not a whole lot of original songs out there there's a whole lot of rewritten versions of the original song right and i think you can still be original in the way that it's as long as you're telling at least a truth in a sense of at least what's true for you in a way then that becomes original. Well, yeah, because those those original songs are those truths. Yeah. And truth is universal. Mm -hmm. So the way you may choose to express that and the way I may choose to express that is going to be different than the way Bob Dylan may have expressed it. Right. Or Woody Guthrie may have expressed it. Uh, but it is nonetheless true. Right. Exactly. So uh, last year you went on a songwriting retreat of sorts, correct? Actually, well, that was the trip last uh, well i did a few things i oh, went okay. i went we had our songwriting trip to baja last week oh yeah no but you went to uh, nashville yeah, yeah i did a uh, i did a songwriting workshop with radney foster mm -hmm. who's one of my favorite songwriters and uh i posted a little picture that said something to the effect of everybody should get an opportunity work with to work with their heroes yeah 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 absolutely it really was wonderful what are the big takeaways you got from that workshop I think the biggest takeaway was sitting and working. I had an opportunity to sit and work with him one-on-one, -on -one, just him and me with two guitars in a room. Oh, great. And looking, I, I took a couple of the songs that I had been working on, and the way he was able to just kind of hone in on, on a few things that were not quite there and say, here's how you tighten this up. I mean, people will talk a lot of times in, uh, if you talk to people who are doing songwriting seminars or writing songwriting books or the 
quote unquote authorities and so authorities on songwriting, they'll talk about you have to tighten it up. Right. And well, what the hell does that mean exactly? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. And, and, but there were a couple of things that he pulled out. I, I gave. I had two songs that I sat down with him, and they were what I walked out with was probably ninety five percent the same as what I walked in with, uh-huh. but the five percent differences are the things that kind of just take the song from one place to a whole different place. Okay. And what I was amazed at is the ability of somebody who, who has that level of skill, how they can just so quickly identify that and go, oh, yeah. here's what you need to do. You repeated this line in here. There's no need to repeat that line in there. That's not bringing anything to the party. Take that repeat out. Right, right, right. You know, <laughs> and it just that kind of thing was really impressive and i think i got a fairly good sense of 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 how they do that and what they're doing there and i'm and i think in the things that i wrote subsequent to that i was able to to use that you kind of kept with it in a way or like he left you with a better i guess sense of how to tighten things up yeah, or how I, to notice he when gave me concrete examples up. yeah right. you know instead of just talking about it in generalities and when you and you shake your head and go okay yeah i gotta tighten it up he said you know, here's what you do. And, you know, you have too long of a turnaround between this chorus and the verse, and I'm losing my interest between here and there. Let's get rid of half of that. And that bridge, that bridge is twice as long as it needs to be. Okay. And um, I really learned that writing a good song is is a subtractive process, not an additive process. And uh, the analogy would be if you think of a sculptor, and he starts with a piece of stone. He creates the sculpture by taking away. Right. And it's what's left over. Right. And that's where the magic is. Awesome. Cool. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Do you have any specific, going back to lyrics a yes. little bit, and you said that your wife does a lot of that with you as well. Yes. Do you have specific methods to coming up with lyrics, rhymes, or song titles in general? Uh, specific methods... I would have to say there isn't a specific method. It's sort of what comes to you, which is that, that and that's what makes it hard right. because sometimes these things just flow. Right. And then sometimes you can go for a period of three or four months and, and nothing nothing happens. Yeah. When I did this workshop with Radney, he had this big thing up on a projector board entitled, Here's How the Creative Process Works. Okay. And he says, you know, step one is, this is the shit. <laughs> Step two is, what do I do with this shit? <laughs> Step three, this is shit. <laughs> Step four, I am shit. <laughs> Step five, oh, wait, this shit might be okay. <laughs> Step six, this is the shit. <laughs> Step Step seven, I am the shit. And and that's, that's really kind of how it works. Right, right, right. Um, I like that part of that is that there's all there's always that paralyzing self doubt in everything that we yeah do. yeah but I guess some would argue that it's a necessary part of the process yep but I sure wish it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah you just need to learn to tune it out when you know that you need to overcome it yeah I you got you got to find a way to plow through it yeah and... exactly exactly. Uh, let's talk about influences influences yes early influences so when my parents were folkies. Okay. And I grew up, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in New Jersey. And in the 60s, my parents used to go into Greenwich Village mm-hmm. to see the iconic folk artists of that era. Mm-hmm. And I that's what I grew up listening to. And I was eight, nine years old when the Beatles, you know, first became, you know, a thing the here. The shit. The shit, right. <laughs> and, uh, and I wasn't interested. Yeah. I remember thinking, oh, this is terrible music. <laughs> 
so much for that. But <laughs> but I what I was listening to the t- at the time, I was listening to uh, Peter Paul and Mary, uh-huh. and I love the melody and I love the harmony. Right. I was listening to uh, Judy Collins and Joan Paez, and I think that whole folk kind of uh, center comes from there. And then later on, you know, what the birds did with Dylan songs. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the singer songwriters of, you know, late seventies into uh, late sixties into the seventies, be it Jackson Brown or James Taylor, Springsteen. Those are the things that kind of talk to me. And that's what I listen to and would play over and over again. And right. I think, I think that kind of bears out in what I do now. Yeah. That's definitely also something that I've been slowly rediscovering. And I also... Well, speaking of American Dream, is that since I'm very foreign, but I guess I've assimilated well enough to uh, started writing fairly American sounding yep. folk songs, <laughs> uh, and uh, Jackson Brown being one of my major influences these yeah. days. I just love everything he did. Mm-hmm. He just, you know, and and I think you know, my singing style kind of maybe goes there a little bit. Mm-hmm. And his sense of melody and his sense yeah. of poetry, yeah. I think his is phrasing just, is great. It's very interesting to listen to. And for some people, it's just, I mean, I'm sure he's worked very, very hard. There's no question about it. (laughs) But some people just have a God-given gift. And the song These Days, which I'm sure you're familiar with, which is just a fabulous, fabulous song. Mm -hmm. He wrote that when he was 14. Right, right. There's a lot of those. Really? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Really? And I, th- I guess like it's it's also good in a way that like he kept making good songs. It wasn't just he, he made one song when he was fourteen and that was it. He did. He improved from there as well, you know. And then along with him, Eagles, the Eagles, yes. uh, which obviously has been very relevant lately. Yeah. But uh, there was a period of time when I was in high school where that was just you know, that's all I listened to. And yeah. It was on all the time. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen the Eagles documentary? I saw that. I've seen it repeatedly. Yeah, yeah me too. Um, I've watched it a couple of times. And it's an ordeal for our movie yeah, or something. Yep. Uh, I read Don Felder's book. Mm. And their song, One of These Nights, I think most people have a song or two where when you hear that, it immediately brings you to a time and place uh-huh. in your past. Yeah. And I hear One of These Nights, and I'm on the boardwalk in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, and it's dark out, but you have all the lights from all this, the all, all the arcade games and all the bars and all the the excitement that's going on, and I'm hearing that song playing. Right. And every time I hear it now, it's I'm there. Right. I'm there, and that was 40 years ago. Right. But I'm there. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's something like they uh, similar to what they said in the movie it was when they were coming back. I guess it was they realized that people lived. The Eagle songs, yeah. which is basically what you're describing. Yep. So they, they keep being relevant to this day. Any other influences lately? Anything? Lately, yes. I love Ryan Adams. Mm. I yep. know you do too. Yeah, yeah. We, we've, <laughs> we've done a cover together. Yeah not, yeah, not only have you done a cover, but we've started doing the same one. Oh, did <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's I liked great. how you guys did it. Uh, yeah, we've got in the cover song section of our show, we have, I think, three of his now. Okay. And I just, I like what he does. I mean, I think he's another one of these people that, that's nuts. Yeah. And if you listen to his lyrics, you, you in a lot of the songs, you just go, how did somebody think to say that? <laughs> yeah. Right. But again, he's another guy who's had, he's got a great sense of melody. Mm-hmm. I love listening to him. Well, in between. How about in between? Yeah, yeah, no. Okay, okay. Any, so, anything. I was a big REM fan. Okay. 
All right. And again, a lot of their stuff was kind of off the wall. Yeah. But they had a lot of songs where they used a lot of melody yeah. and a lot of harmony. And they were places where you could hear the Beach Boys. Right. They were cool melodic sensibilities in yeah. many of their songs, for yeah, sure. So, so that, was, that was another big one that I liked a lot. Yeah. And then in the last few years, just listening to some of the traditional country music, which I really did not pay attention to at all in the part of my life when I was gathering influences. Right. But started listening to some of that. And some of the songs I've written recently have a little bit of that popping out in there, yeah. too. Yeah. Well, if that's one of the things that I'm, I've been missing, in a way, if you, if you want to call it missing, because country just doesn't exists back home no there's really no country back home and uh today like modern country i'm not a huge fan of because it's fairly produced in a way but there's so much to learn from just like the big the greats of country especially when it comes to lyric writing and and simple songs that really stand really well as as songs standalone songs and yeah and that that's the thing it's the simplicity you listen to any of those classics these are not complicated songs are not complicated musically no, it's just they're not complicated yeah it's, it's a one four five you know <laughs> yeah. and then just you know and maybe you go one five four but um it's not complicated musically it's not complicated lyrically what they do consistently is they find the focal point of the song mm-hmm. lyrically yep. and they stay on it you know they don't get lost in the weeds and they don't go off here and they don't go off there they find it and they're 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 right there right Cool. Do you do any sort of, I guess, continuous learning about song other than, I guess, the workshop uh, that you did? Do you tend to read books about music and songwriting or anything like that? I've read the books. Any in particular that you would recommend? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I have done, I, I've been, I've been fortunate enough to have some people uh, who I, I would now consider mentors. Yeah. Who have been successful at the at the craft of songwriting and who've been kind enough to kind of take me under their wing and really that that's a good way to learn and i mentioned jerry cariaga earlier and he's really been that person for me and and what i what i love about jerry other than you know jerry knows songwriting jerry doesn't have a filter okay (laughs) so when he hears something that's bad he'll say no (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't work, uh, which like- is good because when you sit down and you write a song and you play it for your friends or your bandmates or your wife or whatever, you're playing to people who are predisposed to want to like what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You it's know, like, and, that's and it, great, dear. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> and they, so they, they want to like it. And even the people who come see your band, I mean, they, you know, they are your fans, they're your friends, they're whatever. They want to like it. Mm-hmm. They're predisposed to like it. And the problem is if you get too caught up in that, in that bubble, you can wind up writing a lot of crap and thinking it's wonderful. Right, right. Because you don't get any critical right. you're, attention, you're not, really. You're, you're not getting objective, constructive criticism from somebody who really understands what it is that's going on. Right. And I've been very, very fortunate in getting that. And I look back at getting ready to, to record something. I don't know if it's going to be an EP or an album or whatever. Right. And I'm looking at the songs that I wrote. I started digging into songs that I wrote like six or seven years ago. Right. And, well, I'm not going to use those. That's crap. <laughs> and and then just looking at the evolution of things. And I really think, and I'm very proud of the fact that they keep on getting better. Right. And the things I've written in the last two, three months, I think are the best things I've done. Okay. And... Uh, 
so you know the old adage of you know the way to get better at writing is just to keep writing yeah there is something to be said for that oh yeah you got to get through all the shit basically <laughs> to get to the next one because otherwise all that shit's in the way right uh, you kind of right. have to write your way through to a good song and the other thing i found is there's a phrase that, that they used in in one of the books they call it bumps okay and the bumps are the part of the song you write a song and the bumps are the things that make it not work okay you know, maybe you could have a melodic bump you know, mm -hmm. where there's just something in the melody that is just not working. Mm. More often, it's a lyrical bump, you know, where you have a lyric that just, uh, it's just, it's just I, not we good. We have a song, I have a lyrical bump in the third verse that I haven't gotten around to fixing it. And I just know that the lyric doesn't work because it's just, it's just a boring lyric, but it makes sense in a way, but there's like nothing fun about it. So I need to, I need to find a way to just sit down and just write a new line that makes sense. But other than that, I like the song. But what happens is, you, you or at least I did it, you would have these things mm -hmm. and you can't think of something else. You go, I'll just leave that there. No one will notice. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which is what I did to begin with because yeah. I wanted to finish the song. Right. And it's the last two lines of the verse and the chorus repeats and the pre-chorus repeats. So I just left the, everything else in there. Right. Yeah. But and I wanted, no I wanted to play the song. And now every time I sing it, I'm like, oh, this, nah, yeah. this is no good. And then if you sit down with somebody who really knows what they're doing and they listen to it and they'll go, and they'll, they'll without any doubt whatsoever, they'll, they'll find that spot and they'll go, that's not good. That's, <laughs> that's got to get... Yeah, that's got to get fixed. And it's like, damn it. Right. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you knew it all along. Right, right. <laughs> so when you think nobody will notice, they really do. Yeah, no, there's something to be said about the value of constructive criticism, for sure. And objective criticism. Yeah, because you can take something that you've created and just make it that much better. Actually, that's one of the ways I'm also doing from a production standpoint is that taking a lot of the songs that we've created and we've done rough mixes on and then, you know, giving it to another party, another producer, another to get objective and valuable criticism on what works and any sort of feedback on maybe there's too much of this. Maybe we should add a little bit here. Maybe there's too much empty space here. That's, yep. you know, so it's not just about the song. It's you can get criticism like that all along the way, which just helps to strengthen it from song idea to finished production. I have a question for you. Yeah. I'm curious if you do this. So I'll write something mm -hmm. and then I'll, the first thing I'll do is I'll just do a scratch recording. It'll right. just, you know, voice and guitar and I'll put it on my phone and I'll listen to it in my car uh -huh. when I'm driving and I'll probably listen to it a hundred times. Okay. And that's where I sort of, you know, think, ah, this needs to change or that needs this melody, this word, this verse, whatever it be. Yep. Do you do that? Yeah, yeah. When I when I have ideas, I usually listen to them ad nauseum. Yeah. And then when I have time, I'll go back to them and then I'll sort of subconsciously have a better idea of what works or what needs reworked. And I also do it very much with mixes. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Yeah. So when I finish a rough mix, I'll bounce it and I'll put it on my phone and I'll walk the dog and I'll listen to the mix over and over and over and over again until I know exactly all the parts in the mix that need worked, you know, where where something drops out or isn't as audible as it needs to be, then I can automate that in. Yep. So yeah, you need to obsess over your your work because I think being a little OCD on these things can help improve the final product for sure. Without a question. And like my wife won't drive to work. We work together during the day. <laughs> okay. she, she won't drive with me. 
<laughs> because of that problem. Because I'm playing these same damn songs over and over and over again. And right. she's, she's like, I can't do that again. Yeah. yeah. Because you, the two of you are definitely not listening to the same song. You're listening to the same audio coming out of the speakers, but you are hearing something completely different. Yes. And interestingly enough, and you might be able to shed some light on this or a thought on this, when I first hear a song for the first time, mm-hmm. no matter whether it's yours, mine, anybody, yep. I hear the melody. I hear the things that make up the song musically. Mm-hmm. That's what I hear. Right. And if I go back and listen to it again or repeatedly, then I'll start catching on to the lyrics and and, right. and, and whatever the, the story is and right, right, right behind right. it. My wife, polar opposite. Okay. She hears a song. She doesn't hear the music. She hears the words. Right. And so we'll both sit down and like I bought Ryan Adams, not his 1989 album. I thought I did buy that one. The one before. And we sat down in the car and we're listening to it and I forgot which song it was came on and and I, I just loved the music. And I said, oh, what'd you think of that song? She says, well, you know, I don't understand what he was talking about in the second verse. And just, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even know notice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very much, uh, I'll listen to sort of the... The melody first, and then sort of like the harmonic structure underneath yeah. the chord progressions and that sort of stuff. So, so I'm not alone. No, no, not at all. <laughs> and the lyrics have to be very, very, well, number one, they need to be mixed well so that they are very audible, too. Yes. Because if you're struggling to hear the lyrics, you're kind of tuning everything out, else right. out. And my head just doesn't work like that. I won't strain to hear the lyrics, not at least not in the first listen, but they need to be very, they need to really capture an emotion or, or something like that immediately from the get-go. I think a good example of a song that I listened to lately uh, or that came on some a random playlist on Spotify or something was uh, Casey Mars- Musgrave's Merry-Go-Round. Yep. Because that's just such a great melancholic lyric. Yeah. And it captures these basically these three, this family in a way, yeah. and uh, this sort of um, setting in, so, in just so many lines, you know? That's a great example. And um, another writer I used to listen to a lot that's going back a ways is uh, Bruce Coburn. Mm-hmm was fortunate enough to meet him a number of years ago. And in having this conversation with him, the, the thing that kind of came out is I said, you know, the songs to me are like watercolor paintings. Okay. They're showing you a picture. It's not a photograph. You know, all the itty bitty details aren't in there. Right. But the eps, the essence is captured in the lyric of that song. Right, right, right. And uh, yeah. when people can do that. Yeah. That's definitely something I need to work on. <laughs> lyrics lyrics are definitely one of the harder parts of writing for me. Might have something to do with the English as a second language, but, well, I, yeah, I, I'm try. not buying that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a load of crap to me. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, I guess I just have to carve out the time to do more. Yeah, well, that, that, that sounds, that, that's being intellectually honest. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about um, you use your phone a lot to capture ideas. Yes. Uh, and obviously you are a guitar player first and foremost. Yes. Do you play other instruments? I play many instruments badly. Okay. You're uh, like me then? Yeah. I play a little bit of mandolin. I yep. play a little bit of banjo. I can play some piano, yep. especially with the newer ones where it's electronic and you can transpose. Right. So I can play everything in the key of C. <laughs> right. And I only have to use the white keys, yep. no matter what key it's in. But I love playing piano and mm-hmm. I had a brief college career. Mm-hmm. I went to engineering school. Okay. And uh, after a year, they invited me not to come back. <laughs> I, 
had a great time. Um, so this is this is at Rutgers in New Jersey. So I said, well, I'm going to be a music major because I had been playing in a band all through that time, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going to go be a music major. So I went to the uh, music department and the people deal with admissions. And I said, I'd like to be a music major. And they said, great. What instrument do you play? I said, I play guitar. And they said, but what instrument do you play? <laughs> and we went we went around on that a couple times. And I'm like, uh, what are you trying to tell me? They said, we don't consider the guitar an instrument. <laughs> That's such a load of bullshit. <laughs> they said, everybody who uh, is a music major must play piano. Okay. You can play something else. Right, right. You right. can play... French horn and piano. You can play the timpani and piano or the violin and piano. Everybody plays piano. And I couldn't figure out why until I sat down one day a few years later with a piano mm -hmm. and started kind of feeling out the chords and realized, do, do you play it all? Have you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. you understand what I'm talking about. Yep. That the music becomes very visual. Yeah. You understand the relationships between the notes that create chords and yeah. how the variations work. On a guitar, you don't do that. On a guitar, you just learn to put your fingers here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just learn shapes. Right. You don't learn relationships between notes. Perfectly put. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I can take a major and turn it to a seventh by moving my thumb to the left by one. Right. You know, and, oh, that's how that works. Right, and right, so right. now I understand why they said that back in... 1976 or whenever that was. But I'm still kind of pissed about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just got a piano actually in the house. Uh, it's been here for about a month or so. And I've been re-teaching myself how to play just through chord books because it's such a great way because I used to play, I used to learn piano the classical way of just l reading music and learning it that way, which is very hindering in a way for, I think, for originality. Because if you only learn to play sheet music, you can't play anything else because you don't know how to play anything else. Right. Whereas when you play chords or learn to play chords and know the relationships between chords and theories and how, how all that works in order to create songs, then it's fun to play a piano. It is. And I, my daughter took piano lessons and played piano when she was still living at home. So I kept the piano. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I would sit down with a Jackson Brown songbook. Yep. There's a perfect example because none of, it, none of his stuff is terribly complicated. Right. And it was all things I could play. And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I like this. Yeah. And I think it's also just a great instrument to switch to when you're kind of stuck in a rut playing the guitar, which uh, I found you, to do be... Do you ever write on piano? Yeah, I've written a few songs on piano. And now, once I've been playing more, I also have started to write sort of motifs or intros or sort of, you know, parts on piano that might develop into songs because, you know, that is... I have this little motif that is obviously surrounding these two chords. And then if I wanted to write a melody, I can just, you know, write a verse and then I'll play these chords. And then in between the phrases, I could go back to the motif. So like, it's a di much, much different way of writing than yeah. on guitar. Well, I, I've heard some people say that uh, when you get stuck, yep. one of the best ways to get unstuck is just to go to an instrument you're not familiar right. with. Right, switch. Yeah. And uh, because I know when I pick up a guitar, you know, even without thinking, my, there's certain things I'm just going to play just to kind of get the feel of the neck or, or whatever. Right. And it's just that they're ingrained. Yeah. And there's certain patterns that I always kind of default to. But yeah, you pick up a totally different instrument. And... Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is, uh, uh, speaking of R.E.M., uh, yes. Again, that's uh, what's the song with the mandolin in it? Out of it's off of automatic for the people. Losing my religion. Losing my religion. Yeah. That was uh, Buck, right? Peter, Peter Buck. Peter Buck. Yeah. He 
picked up the mandolin and didn't know how to play it and came up with a riff and then that became one I would hazard to say that one of their one of the biggest hits, hits ever. Yeah. Yes, they'll they could all retire on that one. <laughs> because <laughs> Peter Buck decided to pick up a mandolin one day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, let that be a lesson. Yeah. Just try something new, figure something else out. It's gonna switch on a different part of your brain that might be hiding some creative juice. I have a couple of things that I'm working on that started off with just sitting down with a mandolin one day, right. just because I hadn't used it in a while. Yeah, exactly. It's a nice way to go. Cool. So I wanted to ask you about a time where you were really happy with how a song came out. Ooh, I got a few of those. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, lately especially. Right. I had mentioned earlier about songs that I'd written a while ago. Right. So there was a song that I wrote, initially wrote, it's got to be five or six years ago. You've heard it. It's called Genevieve. Okay. And that song has been rewritten. I'm talking about major rewrites, not tweaking a word here or there. Right. Four times. Okay. To the point where, like, if you heard the original, you probably wouldn't recognize it other than, you know, a few of the lyrics are the same. Yeah, yeah. It was also one of the ones that I got to work with Radney Foster on. So he... He, when I when I left him, he left me with some general direction. It's not like we sit down, we sat down, and he said, "Okay, now we'll do this and this and this, and it's done." He was like, "Well, consider these things." Right. So I got home and and did that, and it was a dramatic change from the way I had been playing it and performing it for the last couple of years. And I I love I just love where it's at right now, and also that that new song "American Dream," which I really haven't rewritten. Right. That one, um, for some reason, I'm just loving where that one's at right now, kind of right. right out of the box. I mean, I'm tweaking little words here and there as I listen to it, you know, for the 84th time and <laughs> on my phone in the, in the car. I'm changing some pronouns and, and, and conjunctions. But that's another one where I'm just, you know, when I was done, sat down and played it and like, I like where this one's at. Right. So those are two different or sort of opposite. Yeah. Uh, one of them I've been beaten up for five years right. and the other just, just hatched. Yeah. Because sometimes they come and sometimes you really have to work on them. And I would think, and I would advise, I guess, anybody who's listening that like, if you believe in a song and you believe that there's something there, it might be worth it to keep working at it, to keep rewriting it until it becomes something that you know was in there basically going back to the sculpture thing you've right. finally chiseled out that sculpture and that, that's what the whole Genevieve thing was about right. because there, there was the fundamental idea of the song I, I always believe was valid yeah and I just hadn't found the right way to say it right and I hadn't found the right way to play it and then all of a sudden they kind of came together and it's like I knew it was there. <laughs> and, and you know, and, and I kind of, I give Carol a hard time because she never liked the song at the, in the beginning. Okay. She's like, ah, I don't like that song. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And, and she, had, she hadn't even written any of it with me because she just, she didn't like it. Yeah. And it's hard to keep going once she, once your wife says says something like yes. that. Yes. Uh, I, I definitely, I can relate to that because it's <laughs> like, no, I, I, I don't want to be against you, but like, I think there's something there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I hope, I hope Liz is this way too, but Carol will also be very very blunt. Yeah, you know, she's yeah. Got, we no, got that's the one of the where... things I really appreciate is that she tells me when something isn't good enough. Yeah, that which either means I give it up or keep at it to make it up to par. Right. You know? Yeah, if, if, and if, if she tells me something, she doesn't like something, but I do. I take that as well. That what that means is I just haven't quite figured it out yet. You know, because if I really believe in it, then I'm going to go with it. But you know, if if I'm getting that feedback back, it tells me just. I haven't honed in on it yet. Right. 
Cool. So um, tell us a little bit about, or where can people find uh, more of you and your music? More of me and my music. They can find me mm -hmm. uh, every third Wednesday yep. of the month over at Monterey. That's been a regular thing for us, I guess, for about a year and a half now, I think. We probably have the longest running regular thing they've got there. Yeah. yeah. And it's that's been very rewarding when we first started doing it. Well, you were with us the first, you know, a couple of times we were yeah. doing it. And it was like, you know, yeah, like your family was there. Yeah. Liz was there, and my wife was there, and I think my mom. You know, it was they, they, we didn't have a whole lot of right. You know, but you know, they kept on. And now building. you're filling we, filling the place. We, we packed the joint last yeah. week. Yeah. So yeah, so we're there every third Wednesday. We'll be over at Tap and Bottle April seventh. Okay. If you go to the otherTroublemakers.com, okay, that'll bring you over to our Reverb Nation page. I, oh, perfect. I've got a few songs on there. Yep. They're mostly. Um, some of the roughs that I listen to where I'll sit down and just, I'll, it'll be a voice and a guitar. Yeah. Uh, kind of music boiled down to the basics. Cool. So to end the interview, I wanted to feature one of your songs. But uh, before, maybe you wanted to pick a song that you wanted to feature and tell us a little bit about it and sort of what it's about. or Kind of like if you were introducing it off the stage. I'll pick American Dream because that's the new one that I'm loving. All right, perfect. Okay. But instead of introducing it the way I would off a stage, I'm actually going to introduce it with a true confession. All right. So about a month ago, I had watched on... In the span of a couple of days, it was an interview with James Taylor mm -hmm. and an interview with Bruce Springsteen. And both of them had talked about what we had talked about before, where really the songs are just rewrites of old songs. <laughs> and uh, Springsteen had a great song uh, called Out on the Street, which was, you know, it's just an iconic Springsteen song. He says, yeah, I, re I rewrote Friday on my mind. <laughs> and I listened to the two of them like... He wrote on Friday. He, he rewrote on Friday. It's Friday on my mind. That's what he did. And James Taylor was talking about all these songs that he had written that were rewrites of other songs or rewrites of other songs he'd written. He says, I've only written five songs. I just keep rewriting them. So I saw so some thinking, all right, if I'm going to do that, let me, let, me, let me think of a song uh, that I want to rewrite. And what's an iconic classic folk song? What is, and I came up with, This Land is Your Land. Oh, okay. They don't get any more yeah, iconic like that. Yeah, very true. And American <laughs> Dream was like, all right, well, I want to express some of that same sentiment. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about, you know, the, the beautiful things that you can see here. I, I want to address not dwell on, but I at least want to address uh, um, some of the social issues that we have here. Right. And that's where that came from. Cool. So that's the intro. That's that's the true confession intro. I would never say that from the stage. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. My pleasure. It's been a great talk. And uh, we'll, we'll end it with American Dream. All right. Standing in a station in Des Moines Suitcase in my hand North or south Just flip a coin I'll ride any rail Across this land Eastbound New England 523 I'll chase the sunrise Wash my hands in the sea I've seen the tops of the Rocky Mountains The desert floor and all that lies in between open roads Honky-tonks and shotgun shacks I dream The American dream 
never seen a storm roll through the plains Or a Sunday Tulsa rodeo I walked on that red dirt in the footsteps of Tom Joe Headed west for the California coast The stars in the desert like angels on high Sleep wrapped in the warmth of an Arizona night I've seen the tops of the Rocky Mountains The desert floor and all that lies in between open roads Honky tonks and shotgun shacks I dream The American Shotgun shacks I dream 